Hello everyone and welcome to episode 493 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you been up to this week? This week I've been writing, painting, podcasting, reading, picking lemons from my tree, giving them away left, right and centre. There's just a bounty of lemons. I gave some to my cello teacher and she made me some lemon butter, which was delicious. I mean, how nice is that? Speaking of the practice of that lovely, you know, reciprocal gesture, I loved seeing the article in The Guardian a couple of weeks ago by Australian Writer Centre graduate Jen on the etiquette of returning Tupperware. Yes, there's an etiquette, did you know? (laughs) Um, I'll put the link in the show notes if you want. Otherwise, just, I guess, Google the etiquette of returning Tupperware, um, The Guardian. Anyway, Jen is Australian, but she's actually based in Germany. Uh, But she writes for publications all over the world, feature articles, including Australia, like in The Guardian, and she's obsessed with food. So she writes a lot about food. And this article made such a splash that she was then contacted by radio to be interviewed about it. Uh, But she's not the only one kicking goals. On the weekend, I loved opening the weekend papers to see another article by Australian Writers' Centre graduate Carmen Forward on why people quit office work. And it became one of the most trending articles on the whole site. I remember when Carmen had this idea and it was great to see it come to fruition. So well done to both Jen and Carmen. I'll also put that link in the show notes. But if you want to Google, I guess Google um, why people quit office work, Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Both Jen and Carmen started off with a course, Freelance Writing Stage 1. So if you're interested in getting published and seeing your byline in media outlets and in newspapers and online news sites, then that is definitely the course for you. That's Freelance Writing Stage 1. Now, last week, you may remember that I talked about the app Readwise and how it integrates with Read It Later apps. So this week, I thought I should explain what Read It Later apps are in case you're interested or in case you would find this useful. So as the name suggests, these apps help you to well, read things later. And it can be anything digital, like an online news article, a Wikipedia page, an email even, um, a blog post, an image maybe, even videos if you want to check them out later because you don't have the time or aren't in an appropriate space to view them now. So if you're the sort of person who has 200 tabs open on your web browser, then you need this. So you can even tag things Uh, so that when you set aside time to read what you've saved, you can focus on a particular topic, for example. The most popular Read It Later apps are Pocket and Instapaper. I've used both. Um, They're both pretty good and it's free to sign up for the basics, which is mostly what, you know, most people need. There's also programs like Evernote and OneNote, which are also good, but they can be a bit more of a database of all your articles and notes, you know, but you can absolutely use them as read it later apps as well. So free your browser tabs and free your mind of that clutter. Just know that you're going to be able to look that up and read it later. There's usually search functions in all of these apps as well. So again, those apps are Pocket, Instapaper, and also Evernote or OneNote, because Evernote, of course, has a web clipper as well, so you can easily clip a particular web page and put it in your Evernote to read it later. I'll put links to all of these in the show notes in case you want to check them out. The one that I use mostly now, I did. I used to use. I didn't use Instapaper for very for very long. I did use Pocket for a little while, but I've pretty much because so much of my other stuff is in Evernote. I pretty much use Evernote these days. All right, all of those links are in the show notes. Now let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of Cult Classic by Sloane Crosley to give away. Cult Classic is a comic mystery about love, memory and mind control from New York Times bestselling author and two-time Thurber Prize finalist Sloane Crosley. 
One idle weeknight in New York's Chinatown, Lola is at a reunion dinner with her former colleagues when she ducks out to buy cigarettes. On the way back, she runs into a former boyfriend. And then another. And another. Nothing is quite what it seems as the city becomes awash with ghosts of heartbreaks past. What would normally pass for coincidence becomes something far stranger as Lola must contend not only with the viability of her current relationship, but the fact that both her best friend and former boss might have an acutely unhealthy investment in the outcome. Memories of the past swirl and converge in ways both comic and eerie as Lola is forced to decide if she will buy into the tenets of romantic love, change who she is to do it, and surrender herself to one very contemporary cult. Well, I have three copies to give away, and you can have your chance to win at writercentercomau slash win. Entries close on the 8th of August. But don't worry, if you go to that URL and uh, you're listening to this episode in the future, there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. That's writerscentercomau slash win. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are, because it's word of the week time. The word of the week this week is seriology. Seriology. That's C-E-R-E-O-L-O-G-Y. Seriology. It's the study of the phenomenon of, no, not cereal, crop circles. And a person who studies cereology is a cereologist. So I'd love to see a book titled, you know, The Cereologist's Wife or Cereology Girl or something. Or maybe a series, a cereology series. Although I do feel sorry for the actor who records the audiobook, Seriology. Not the easiest word to say. All right, there you go. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week, but stay tuned after the interview because we have more fun facts about the world of writing. Hattie Miller is a memoirist, novelist, and has also taught memoir and life writing at the Australian Writer Centre for many years. She has written several books and her latest is True Friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Valerie. It's always a pleasure. Congratulations on your latest book, True Friends. I devoured it. I couldn't put it down. I absolutely loved it. I mean, I love everything you write, but um, this was absolutely wonderful. For people who haven't yet got a copy, can you tell us what it's about? Well, it's it's obviously about friendship. True, True Friends is the title, but um, it looks at uh, a friendship breakup is the central storyline, a, a, a very dear and close um, friend. Um, who uh, pruned me or dropped me or dumped me or whatever word you want to use, but also it explores lots of other friendships um, through throughout my life. So fundamentally, it's looking at what friendship means to us and what it means when a friendship breaks up. You know, I was saying to my partner the other day, Patty could write about a blade of grass and it would be absolutely beautiful reading. What made you decide on this though? And what was the thing that made you think, oh, I'm going to write a book about friendship? Well, it wasn't really that I decided to write a book about friendship. It it was that I was coming back from the Paris um, memoir workshop in uh, 2019, which was the last time anyone went anywhere, I think. And um, I was getting on the plane um, and on the uh, bridge, getting onto the plane ahead of me, I saw a woman with a thick mane of, of auburn hair that I, I suddenly, I thought was Gina. 
you know, and I went into a sort of panic thinking, what will I do when I pass her on the plane? Will I nod politely? Will I stride past? Will I be a really cool person and say, oh, this is awkward or something like that? And, and um, felt quite, quite panicked about it. I could feel my heart beating. And then, of course, the woman turned round to check her baggage and it wasn't her. It wasn't Gina at all. But I, I thought, oh, that was a strong reaction. So when I got on the plane, as is my way, I started taking notes about it, you know, what I'd been thinking and, and feeling and everything. And, and um, I kept on sort of taking notes. And, and the thing that really struck me was that because um, I was reading on the plane as well, I thought there is no stories about this. You know, there's endless songs and films and plays and and uh, poetry about um, romance breakups, but not about friendship breakups. So um, by the time I got back to Sydney, I realised I wanted to to write that book, and and wow. I felt I felt like I needed to write it because I still felt bewildered by the whole thing I didn't understand it I felt bewildered and so um, when I got home from from uh, Paris um, and got off the plane I thought I've, I've got this book to write. Wow that was a productive plane ride. <laughs> I had pages of notes by the time I got back you know and I and I and it was it was already starting to expand into um, what it turned out to be at that point. All right, so that's interesting. You said you've had you had pages of notes and it was already taking shape. So, did you know that because the there's there's the thread which is your friendship breakup with Gina, mm-hmm. but as you say there are other things in it. It is about other friendships. There's research into the idea of friendships. There's it's about memory and our perception of 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 how we form our memories did all of that come out on your notes on the plane did you know the the structure it was going to take and the topics that you would be writing about no I I didn't know all of that at that stage but but as soon as I started writing it uh which was uh probably you know by uh, by December um, I was starting to write it in, in that year. And I actually, in the first piece that I wrote, which was about remembering um, uh, that that Gina had worked with my son in, in a play, and I wrote the whole thing. And then I went online um, to actually sort of check, you know, when and where and that kind of thing. And I found out that it wasn't that play at all, that I had remembered it wrongly, that she had not been involved in that play, that it was someone else altogether. And then I suddenly thought, this is actually about how I remember things, how I remember other people. It is as much about memory for me as about friendship because I thought I had constructed a completely false reality about that and I thought this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and put on the page that fragmented lacy thing inside our brains which is our representation of reality but in particular our our representation of friendship so it was I decided I'm not going to rewrite it and correct it I'm going to let it stand and I'm going to kind of present memory as part of the story so that came in very early on that was in the first um first chapter that I realized that that had to be there and then the other thing that turned up um was that uh, when I was thinking about the fact that it wasn't represented in literature, I suddenly remembered the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is, you know, the first written story ever found, and it was about friendship. And that's uh, that's how that started to come into being as well. Okay, so it, you start writing and realise that there's this added layer to it. By the way, that was such a, and this isn't a spoiler, everyone, because it's the opening, this, this scene that Patty's talking about where she remembers misremembers um, uh, how she met uh, Gina. Um, That's such a powerful opening because um, as a reader, I found found myself going along and Googling and (laughs) also going, aha, it's this person. And then to find, oh, my God, it's completely not. And I was so sure that it was this person, right? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so the um, 
you, you start writing, realise there's this whole other layer to it, but then do you just write into the void or do you, and see what comes out or do you have some level of planning of, you know, I'm going to write about these particular friendships or how, how, how did you then determine what yes, happened next? Yes. I just love that you ask the process questions because they're so important and hardly anyone does. In all the interviews you do, hardly anyone asks the process questions. So I'm so glad because that's what I love talking about. And, and, and really, you know, I realised that I didn't want it to be very early on in, within the first chapter or, or even maybe by the time I got off the plane, I realised I didn't want it to be all about the friendship breakup because I thought, well, what matters is the whole connection to other people, the what, how we make friends. We have family, but we also make friends, you know. So I, I thought I want to include the other friends in my life. And I thought, well, I'm actually just going to be historical about it. I'm going to go back to the first friendship um, that I had, which was when I first started in, in kindergarten. So the... Uh, and there was only one other girl in my class. It was a tiny little country school. So I really didn't have any choice about who was going to be my friend. It was it just it had to be her. Um, so uh, then I thought I will just keep on going through um, in a historical fashion, you know, from, from uh, primary school, that little tiny primary school, and then the little country high school that I went to. And obviously there were other people, but I fairly quickly realised that it was going to get really, really crowded like a Bruegel painting if I included everybody, you know, mm -hmm. just that, you know, that was the problem all the way through was, was so many people. You know, when you've lived as, as long as I have, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, you know. <laughs> so so I, I had to cut people as well. I was feeling kind of guilty about that. You know, but did you cut them before or after you wrote about them? Um, some before, like some before I thought, uh, because I was partly thinking about the kinds of friendships, you know, that you have, like you have friendships at school, you, you, you have friendships um, uh, maybe from your travels and maybe from work. Um, and also um, for me, um, there's a lot of friends that come because of your, because of, uh, because of my kids, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of friendship that are to do with um, the friends of, of, um, you know, your, your kids' friends. And as one of my sons said to me once when he was in high school, Mum, you wouldn't have any friends if it weren't for me. You know, I thought, that's not fair. <laughs> I know how to make friends. So so there were those, so some I thought, well, I've already looked at that kind of a friendship. And then I was thinking about the friends who are geographical. They just happen, you know, to live nearby and then they move away. And so I was partly editing because I thought, oh, well, I've already got one of those kinds of friends. But mainly it was to do with their in my emotional connection to them you know that that they were significant and important but there were some that I cut afterwards mainly there was a whole chapter on um, male friends and that was cut like it was everybody who read it including my my in-house editor and the editor at UQP and the publisher at UQP and they said it multiple times the boys have got to go they're not part of this story and I wanted to keep hold of them, you know, because I thought they matter, you know. But in the end, I, in the final edit, I accepted the fact that they weren't part of it, that really it was about female friendship. So they hit the cutting room floor at, at the last minute. So you do write about quite a lot of your friends. Did you, did they know about it? Because, and, and, and you write very honestly um, about your experiences and your perceptions of of not only your friendship but of them, um, a, a lot of people who who want to write memoir are so afraid of what other people will think that it actually nothing useful comes out of them because they censor themselves at, from the outset. So, did these friends know they were being written about, and have they read about themselves? <laughs> oh, that's a dangerous question there. But but yes, I think um, some of the friends, the friends that I am still in contact with in my contemporary life, um, they knew what I was 
working on. There's some friends from long ago that I don't know where they are, um, like from primary school. Um, I, I don't know where that, that first friend in kindergarten is these days. Um, and other friends from high school, there's there's a few that I'm still in contact with, like, like very significant ones, um, like Jane, whom I met at um, boarding school. But um, so that, uh, Jane, Jane knew and um, people I'm still in contact with, but not people I wasn't in contact with. And that includes the central character in, in the breakup story because she had um, forbidden contact. Um, I didn't I didn't let her know about it. But it's been very interesting. Um, I, I did check with everyone whether they wanted to have um, their own names or not. And, and so some of the names have been changed. Um, mostly people were happy to have their names the same. But one friend, one of my friends in Paris, in fact, I had said yes to her own name. But then when I uh, she saw read the book afterwards, once it was published, she 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 said, "Help! <laughs> I'm so identifiable. Someone could come and knock on my door." And she said, "Can we change the name now in the next um, printing of it?" You know, so I have to you know let the publisher know that um, she wants that that name changed uh, again. But but I that issue of being paralysed by what other people will think or feel is is one of the central kind of difficulties, as you've pointed out, of memoir writing. And I do kind of classes on the difficulties of truth telling. And and I went I attended a conference was uh, on Zoom in um, an international conference in New Zealand. And my topic was, you know, um, whose story is it, and do you have the right to tell uh, other people's uh, stories? But for me, it's actually about um, everyone has the right to their own experience and their own interpretation of life. And that includes your interpretation of your world and the people in it. So you're not actually taking them or their lives. It's only your interpretation, your experience of them. But it's still really hard to do. You know, I know now why people haven't written about friendship and friendship breakup because it's so, um, it can be so explosive and difficult. Yes. And, and a lot of the people, it's interesting, I think a lot of people have told me that they went straight to the chapter on them and read it first. <laughs> and they argued about the, the facts with me, saying, you know, that I'd got this wrong and that wrong. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, I mean, while it's definitely true that it's your perception, it's your interpretation of what's occurred and of them and your interaction with them, <clears throat> um, they, and as you say, some of them have argued the facts, but have, and you may choose not to answer this question and that's perfectly fine, but have people reacted badly to your interpretation of them? Uh, it's, I think um, not, I think it, maybe they have, yes, yes, you know, because I'm not in direct contact um, with, with Gina certainly and, and I, I think there is a, a, a strong reaction there. Uh, um, against mm. the interpretation. Some of the others have just been mildly irritated, I guess, you know, <laughs> about my interpretation of them. But the, the thing is, you know, uh, that, that everybody carries a picture of everybody else in their head and we all carry a different picture. Everyone who knows you has a different picture. Some people think you're the nicest and most wonderful person in the world. Other people think you're the most annoying person in the world, you know, and they're all entitled to their view of it. It's just that writers have the guts to put that on the page mm. and other people recognise it. That's the thing that I actually helped me keep going because I wrote in terror most of the time, you know, when I was writing that and thinking what about What do you mean? Well, think <laughs> uh, the terrified people's reactions you know and how I might not have any friends left at the end of it and all that kind of thing you know so and you know no one wants to be abandoned you know so but I but I told myself in the end that it's only by writers it's uh, writers telling that it's the writer's job to tell the truth so and that's really liberating for readers to tell the truth as mm. they experience it you know and and if all of us kept up the nice <laughs> smiling, sugary kind of fairy frost front, then nobody would ever 
um, be able to know, um, you know, their own heart and mind, really. And it's it's writers who do that for us. And we read it and we think, ah, yes, I've been like that. You know, mm. I've been a bit judgmental of a friend of, you know, or whatever. You know, all that, you know, not just, I mean, the good and wonderful things you think, but the kind of maybe mean and judgmental things that you might think that, you know, she's prettier than me or whatever, you know, there's those kinds of things, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit raw and uncomfortable, I think. So based on that, I assume that obviously you don't self-censor at all, certainly when you're in the throes of writing. Do you come, ever come back and go, oh, I really can't say that, or oh, do you actually do any kind of trimming of your own yes, in I the cold light of day? I think I do, uh, uh, to be honest, uh, maybe about other people. I pull my punches a bit in, in terms of that. I don't, I mean, I don't even think of them as punches, but I, I, I hold back a bit, but I don't about myself. I think, and that's the other way that I think I get through the difficulty of um, talking or uh, uh, writing about others is that I have to be as ruthlessly honest about myself as about others and I think that I am actually more honest about myself than I am about other people. So take me back to when you first discovered how much you love writing memoir because this is not your first memoir you're a master at this craft but take me back to the very first time because it must have been way more terrifying when you first did it. What got you into it and what was and since it was, it would have been so terrifying. I mean, I think that's terrifying just for me thinking about it. Um, what was so appealing about it that made you keep going? I think, I mean, it was, it was as you suggest, a long time ago. And, in fact, it started when I was doing the master's degree at um, UTS and we had to, I mean, the degree was writing a book. So, um, and I was very interested and have been all my life um, interested in the nature of um, storytelling, you know, and, and why we tell stories. You know, that, that kind of keeps on endlessly fascinating me, what it is about human beings that we must tell stories. You know, we, we have to do it and we have to listen to them, we have to watch them. And so I thought um, the stories I know best come from my own life. So, and I wanted to look at how those stories shape the kind of person I became. It was, I wanted to write about the nature of storytelling and I thought the materials there, it's the same kind of thing that Annie Dillard said really when she wrote um, a model, um, an American childhood. And she wanted to write about what it was like to be, you know, a child in America. And and she ended up realising that, of course, the one that she knew best was her own. So it was it was really a, a desire to to write about a, um, a a kind of idea and experience and using the material of your own life. So in that one, I actually looked at it was called um, the last one remembers, and that comes from uh, uh, something that one of my great aunts said. I had a, a whole lot of great aunts, about five of them, um, none of whom married. Only, only my grandmother married. So I feel kind of lucky to be here coming from such an unmarrying family. And, um, and uh, one of them said, um, when the last one who remembers me dies, it will be as if I never existed. And I already had this idea to, to write it about them. And when my mother told me that, she said, um, you know, Ali, um, one of the aunts said, when the last one who remembers me dies, it will be as if I never existed because she she didn't live a public life. She didn't um, build bridges or, or um, uh, make a name for herself, um, write books, have children. So I just thought, yes, if, if there's no stories about you, then it's like you don't exist after that, you know, when the last one who remembers, and I'm probably the last one who remembers them, you know. And so I thought I, I want to write about them as well. So I wrote about each one of the great aunts, but I didn't know much about them because they were all dead by now. Um, and I asked my mother a few things because they were very important to her, but I fictionalised their stories. So that book was a combination of writing stories that had shaped me, family stories for a start, and then the stories that you learn at school, and for me, religion stories, because I was brought up strictly in, in, a, in a religion. And then, you know, the, the stories of love and sex and romance that shape, shaped everyone, I think. And then also for me, the stories of um, 
um, the kind of Eastern uh, spirituality, which says that the truth isn't in the stories at all, it's in the silence. So I wanted to kind of look at all those stories that shaped me and weave the stories of the great aunts through through it. And I and, and it was fiction and nonfiction, the book. And I thought that's what I would keep on doing probably, you know, I, and, and I, then I'd write a novel and then I might write some nonfiction or something like that. But I did write one, one novel, of Child, but um, each time I'd, I'd write a nonfiction I'd think next time I'll write a novel, but next time I always write some more nonfiction. So I think that's my, I think it's um, where I feel most at ease because mm. I, I love that. I, it's, it's, I'm very inspired by Annie Dillard, who's a, a French writer, and I started reading her in French like years ago, decades ago, and she claims, very powerfully claims the material of her own life for literature. And I thought, yes, you know, why not claim the material of your own life for literature? It's just as valid and powerful and intriguing as as um, as fiction, as the novel. I think it's, to me, it's, I wanted to claim it really. Well, you proved that, <clears throat> obviously, in, in your writing, in, in all of your books, but many people who try to write memoir mm. it, it, they do write about their own lives and they do they they try to be as um honest as they can and yet it's not always engaging or there are certain things in it that are for want of a better word navel gazing or you know um it, it just doesn't have that depth or resonance with the reader what do people what are common things people do wrong when they're writing memoir that results in that? Yes, that's a really good question. And I, I also do a class, I call it self-indulgence and, <laughs> um, and the navel gazing and all sorts of other more impolite terms, but it's, 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 it's true. And I, and I think, you know, it, it comes from forgetting, I think anyway, it comes from essentially it comes from forgetting that you are making something. I think a lot of people when they're writing memoir, they may be... Um, uh, kind of too, they're too self-absorbed. It's it's more like, or they're trying to um, kind of sort out some um, kind of trauma or something like that. But they treat it more as um, like a diary or journal, or maybe I call it sometimes I call it vomiting. You know, they're actually a bit rude, but I do say that to people when they're writing. You know, it's it's it, vomiting is something you need to do but you don't share it with other people. You've got to think of the material as, as material. You're thinking about shaping it, making it, um, seeing what the structural issues are, how you can make it more powerful, more engaging, and to keep on reminding yourself that it's a construction made of words. It's not you kind of blurting out everything that you think kind of matters about your life. It's consciously thinking of it as a work, you know, your, your, your tools are very tricky because they're words. Like when you're a painter, um, you can use paint or a sculptor, you can use stone or steel or dance, you can use your body. But if you're using words, you're using something that has created you. Um, so it's, it's actually a very kind of complex thing that you're doing. But I think if you remind yourself that you are trying to build, in a sense, the illusion of a three-dimensional world that other people can inhabit, then you've got a chance of being able to, um, to write a memoir that will engage with other people. Otherwise, you're just kind of emptying a bucket load of stuff inside you, I think. I love that explanation. That's fantastic. Now, coming back to True Friends, as you've said, you knew that it was obviously you based on the end of a particular friendship and that you were going to recount historically mm -hmm. um, some of your other friendships. But you also intersperse um, your uh research that's not quite the right word your discovery your your learning of as we mentioned memory and stories about friendship at what point did you do that research because 
you would have had to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. No, I don't know all about neuroscience by myself. <laughs> but it has been an area of great interest to me for a long time. So for decades, probably, I will probably, I mean, it's really taken off in the last 15 or 20 years, the, the whole kind of area of, of neuroscience and, and neuroscience in relation to memory. So I have been a bit obsessed about it. And I do oh. sometimes tell I. Yeah, I tell my students sometimes if I start talking about neuroscience too much, just tell me, you know, um, because it, it's it's so interesting the way that it, it um, especially as it affects memory. But I did, um, as I said, when I realised that I'd kind of um, got the whole sort of play wrong and that whole circumstance wrong um, in the beginning of the book, I thought memory has to be in this. And so I, I did research as I go. And that's one of the things I often tell, you know, to others if they're, if they're wanting to write. Don't do all your research first. Like two or three years of research, if people do or a year of research or six months, what you've got is a whole bundle of stuff and you're daunted and you stop and it's just and you feel bad. But my secret is to research as I go. So find out, like get to a point where I need to know something, go and find it out, then find it out. That makes perfect sense because you kind of go, oh, I wonder what, and then you find it out. Yeah. That's that's yeah, that's, that's how I do it because I've just seen too many people turn up in class with a bundle of research and feeling absolutely overpowered and overcome. You know, so I just find it's I find out what I need to know, you know, and, and each time with, say, with the Epic of Gilgamesh as well, um, you know, very early on I kind of realised that that was a story, you know, that I wanted to look at because it was about friendship. And, and I, I guess I wanted to say as well, you know, in the research that this is more than just me, you know. This goes back to the beginning of the first story ever written, you know, it's, it's it's not just me. I was, I guess, I was putting myself in the context of world literature and in the context of human beings everywhere over all time have been concerned with um, uh, making and maintaining and and losing friends. So um, I did, uh, as I went kind of worked out which bit that I wanted to use, and I didn't want to assume that everyone would know the Epic of Gilgamesh because most people probably wouldn't unless they'd done kind of years ago um, when they still taught the canon that, you know, you'd done um, English 101 at Sydney Uni or something. It's probably your only chance of, of, of bumping into it, you know. So I thought I'll tell that and then I'll just use the bits that seem relevant when I get to that, um, when I get to writing that particular situation. So the story of um, Gina is told historically as well, really, from the beginning of it until the end of it, although you know in the beginning it's going to end. So it's not like um, uh, that's not the question, that's not the, you know, who done it kind of thing. You do know But that. you want to know how, right? <laughs> you want to know how. The question is mm. how and mm. why, you know, not, not what happens. Mm. So I just... Uh, uh, selected bits I selected a whole lot of bits that I might want to use um, from the Epic of Gilgamesh but certainly with the memory research it really was a need to know basis you know that whenever I wanted to know something I would include it. That is fascinating. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you are a fantastic memoir writing teacher. You teach life writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. For some people who might be a bit confused, um, can you just explain to them the difference between a memoir and an autobiography? Uh, yes, this has come up this week, actually, as a manuscript that was um, sent to us at Life Stories Workshop. And um, he, he thinks he's written a memoir, but he's actually written an autobiography. And I think, you know, to me, the basic difference is an autobiography tries to tell your whole story from beginning to not quite the end because you're still alive. Um, so it's, it's, and it can be about everything that's happened to you, your family background, your education, your working life, your relationships with others, all that kind of thing. Whereas a memoir is limited by something. It could be limited by a time, say the year that you lived in New Delhi, or um, it can be limited by a relationship, like bringing up a child with Down syndrome, or it could be limited by an idea you, you want to write about passion or something like that. So it's a particular aspect um, limited by time or idea or place or relationship. So that means, obviously, that you can write a lot of 
memoir because um, mm. you're only looking at a particular aspect, like the first one looked at the strength or, or, or the, um, no, the, the nature and function of, of stories. Um, and then whatever the gods do looked at um, uh, my um, relationship with a child that wasn't my own. His mother died when he was uh, between two and three. So it was kind of looking at, at, at that particular relationship. And also um, ransacking Paris, um, my year in Paris, and um, uh, trying to remember the names of all my books. The Mind of a Thief was looking at the um, kind of uh, Indigenous and white connection to country Mm -hmm. um, because the first post-Marbo native title claim was made in my hometown. So I I looked at that. So each time it's really... And The Walking One. Yeah, oh, yes, the walking one, the joy of my faces, <laughs> yes, yes, which was about both about walking, about me walking long distance and my brother learning to walk again after he fell out of the sky and broke his spine in four places when he was paragliding. So in each one it's, it's, it's um, limited or shaped by a particular um, time or relationship or idea and I think that's what I like reading, I have to say, um, more than autobiography, you know, and, and also more than biography. People always assume that I read lots of biography, but I read hardly any mm-hmm. because I'm interested in everyone's version of themselves, not so much other people's versions of them. Mm-hmm. Even though obviously there's some very good biographies, I am more interested in, in how someone constructs themselves and, and how they construct other people in their minds. So, so for me, memoir keeps on being interesting. And I think it's, it's the same with, with people like Annie Dillard and um, Annie Arnaud, one American, one French, where they keep on writing about their experience of, of being in the world and very consciously and, and, very, and very determined um, in um, claiming it. For, for literature because there's still a bit of disdain about it, um, you know, that, that, it's, that it's not at the same kind of level as, as the novel and it's kind of seen as um, a kind of feminine and domestic. I know this because I was um, working, um, not working, but um, uh, judging for the Premier's Prize a couple of years in a row and I noticed that all the, and I was in one of the judges in the nonfiction area for a few years in a row, and I noticed that people were always inclined to the big books. By big, I mean they are actually are really thick as well, but they were books about um, big political ideas and issues like Roosevelt's envoys or something like that, rather than the small stories, considered small, about human, ordinary human lives. So um, I can see that it was, and I can see that that's, they were nearly all male writers writing those sorts of books, and it was to do with the valuing of the public um, over the private, Mm. you know, which was in essence a valuing of the masculine story over the feminine story. So I made a big argument to the the judging um, panel about this, you know, and... um, Ended up, we ended up giving um, a prize to uh, a split prize, one to the big boy book and one to the, one to the girl book, <laughs> if you like. So I, I think it's it's something that I, I I would like to kind of maybe argue about more, you know, in uh, maybe write an essay about it or something because I yes. do think it still exists, you know, even though there is so much kind of um, uh, of women claiming their position. It's claiming a position in the male world, you know, mm-hmm. the one that's been claimed as a male world, instead of saying this world also matters, you know, the world in, in, in the home, in the garden, in friendship, in connection yes. to others is just as valuable and important part of literature. Absolutely. Now, True Friends is out in the world. Does, so I'm curious to know, um, have you already thought of what you're going to write next or do you need another plane ride for that? <laughs> <laughs> I might need another plane ride. In fact, I'm taking another plane ride on, on in September to go walking a hugely long distance. But I actually do have a contract to, to write another edition of um, Writing True Stories. So oh, which is a fantastic book. 
Oh, thank you. I thank you. I, I, it's, it's what I um, because um, writing true stories. It only the last edition or the the the, the original edition came out in um, twenty seventeen, and that's only five years ago. But in the meantime, it was published by Ellen and Unwin, as it has been from the beginning, or different versions of um, writing books. But Routledge now own it. You know, they're a, a big international academic publishers. They kind of bought all of Ellen and Unwin's books. But anyway, um, it means that they want a new edition of it. So um, I have agreed to do that and have been looking at ideas about how I can expand it. And I think I have learned a lot, especially from this last book, um, that could go into it, you know. So I want to expand the idea of um, narrative um, nonfiction, things like true crime and, and all those other kinds of narratives, and also expand the, expand the territory of nature writing and environmental writing because it's become a big topic. In, in Wow. They're so, like almost different books. <laughs> I know, I know. They're, they're all, so, so I'm going to expand a number of the chapters. So it's, it's, it won't be a really difficult book to write. It's not like writing memoirs is, um, as um, uh, Hemingway put it, he was writing about fiction, but he said it was uh, you're just pegging your guts out on the page. And, and I think memoir writing is certainly pegging your guts out on the page, but um, writing, you know, writing true stories it's, it's more an exercise drawing on my experience um, as, as a teacher and working with manuscripts and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's more a kind of creative and intellectual work, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that um, will be okay. And, and that, so that's what I'm doing next. But as, as far as writing an, another um, uh, kind of memoir or narrative nonfiction, I'm tossing around a few ideas. Um, but none of them have um, gelled yet. And I think it will be something that just comes out of the blue that I need to write about. Mm-mm. Just like um, you, all of your notes um, on the 24-hour flight or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'll see what happens on this plane ride. <laughs> well, congratulations on True Friends. Um, everyone should grab yourself a copy because you won't regret it. Uh, and thank you so much. Oh, before I, I, I was about to wrap up, but I forgot to ask you, um, we always end with what are your top three tips for writers who, and let's focus on memoir, who uh, would like to write their own memoir? Ah, now that's hard off the top of my head, but I suppose I talk about it all the time. Um, I think um, maybe the first one would be um, the importance of detail that the, it's the detail itself that brings it to life. People often at first are too abstract and too general because they think people won't be interested in their detail, but it's actually the detail that brings it to life. So concentrate on the physical, sensual detail of what it was like to go fishing with your dad. You know, give, give us the kind of, you know, the chill morning air and, and the silvery fish and, and the, the ripples of, of water as, as the wind moves over it. Give us those because that's what brings it to life. Um, I'd say um, second, um, to remind yourself that you, um, your job is not to empty a bucket load of stuff that's inside you. Um, but to create something for other people to live in. So think of it as something that you are making. Uh, you can even imagine it as a kind of three-dimensional space that you are allowing, uh, allowing other people to inhabit. And I guess the third thing, and this is really key to all writing, is to claim your own voice. Now, what you have to say matters, you know, and you don't have to adopt you know, the, the voice of a recording journalist or the voice of an academic. Um, you don't have to be too eager to please. All you have to do is, and this sounds easy, but I think most people find it quite hard, is to claim your, your own voice, you know. And, and I always say to people, write as if the person who um, gets you most is going to read it because then you will feel at ease. You will be able, you won't have to be show-offy um, but you also won't um, be too kind of gooey or whatever. 
Um, if you write for that person who gets you most, you will find the you will find the voice. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today, Patty. Thanks, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Have you ever wanted to write your memoir? Do you have a story to tell, but you're unsure how to write it in a way that's engaging and compelling for readers? Our course in life writing is presented by Australia's leading memoir writing expert, Patty Miller. Patty has mentored countless writers in the publication of their memoir, and now you can learn from Patty no matter where you live. Through live sessions held via online video, you'll watch your story come to life and gain the confidence you need to pitch it to publishers. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash lifewriting. As you've heard, Patty teaches our course in life writing, which is all about writing memoir. It's a fantastic course. Her courses are so popular that they book out way in advance. The August course booked out ages ago and bookings have already been made for the January course and there are limited spaces. So if you're interested in learning from Patty, don't delay because that course, the January course, is going to be booked out very soon. So check out the life writing dates on the website to find out more. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And by the way, in case you didn't know, an easy way to get to the show notes is simply through your podcast app. So for example, if you use the Apple Podcasts app, just tap on episode notes um, when you're in the podcast and it will have a brief description of what's in the episode. But it also has a link in there, if you scroll down, that says read the show notes and you can tap on that and it will take you to the exact show notes just for that episode. Anyway, I hope you find that helpful. Now, the other day, because I live not far from the beach, I was near the surf club and I was looking at the, I think I was having a coffee or something, and I was looking at this sign and it had the word swims on it. And, you know, as you have your coffee and contemplate life and stare at signs, I realized that, that swims is the same when you turn it upside down. Well, it looks the same when you turn it upside down. So words that look the same from different angles or upside down are called ambigrams. Sadly, it's not in the Macro Dictionary, so it couldn't be a word of the week because that's my rule. And it's a technique that designers use a lot when creating logos. Other words I had looked up, other English words that are ambigrams are yeah. <laughs> yeah, think about it, right? Suns, dollop. I like that, dollop. What a great word. It's just almost onomatopoeic, dollop. And past. Think about it, past. There you go. Anyway, that all happens when you're contemplating life, having your coffee, uh, staring at signs at the surf club. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you having this podcast in your ears and I hope you uh, enjoy it. Make sure you join our listener community. I'm hanging out in there a lot. Uh, It's over on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.